Good morning from me. It's great to see all of you. Uh, if you're new, my name's Philip. I lead the church here and it's brilliant to see you. I hope you're having a fantastic time with us and you continue to have a fantastic time with us. Um, before we finish our series of talks on the life of Joseph, I wanted to mention one quick thing, um, which is this, that one of the things that Jesus said would really mark out a follower of his was baptism. Jesus talks about it a bit, the New Testament talks about it a lot, that one of the key things that marks out a follower of Christ is that followers of Christ are baptized. Why? Well, I guess two reasons, really. One, Jesus was very clear that baptism was a wonderful symbol of what happens when you become a follower of his. Jesus knew that baptism would wonderfully symbolize that wonderful uh, process. So becoming a follower of Christ means you are united with Jesus. So baptism symbolizes what it is to, uh, have you, to, to die with Christ, to leave your sin behind and be buried with Christ and to be raised to newness of life with Christ. It's the best possible symbol, as it were. And it's also, Jesus knew, a public confession of a desire and an intention to follow Christ. And that's why baptism is so important. That's why we hold it in high regard here. Got another baptism service on April the 17th that we've been praying into a lot of late. It'll be everyday Kingston in the afternoon on the 17th of April. And if you're not yet baptized and you're a follower of Jesus, we would love to baptize with you. Baptize with you, baptize you. <laughs> talk with me afterwards, talk with your life group leader or your cluster group leader. Just to say, if you have been christened, or perhaps you know those who've been christened, we don't want in any way to cry that or dishonor that. I think often uh, christening is a, is a wonderful thing. It's meant with the best of intentions by friends and family and can be a very special thing. We're not wanting to decry that or deny that. But we are wanting to be faithful to what we see in Scripture. And it seems that from our best reading of Scripture, Jesus meant that a, a, a baptism would be for somebody who can make their own confession of faith, who understands the symbolism that it entails. And for that reason, we would love to baptize believers on April the 17th. Do chat to me afterwards. We'd love to baptize you. So into our series of talks with the final one. So we've had eight talks so far on the life of Joseph. The series has been called Life As It Should Be. And though we've had eight talks so far, we're in Genesis 50 this morning, and we're going to bring the series to a close. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 50 and chapter 15. And I won't summarize the whole story so far, but if you are new to the story or new to the Bible, you need to know that Joseph has had quite a life up to now. Um, last week we saw how remarkably he was able to completely forgive his brothers, despite them selling him into slavery all those years ago. And since that moment that we saw last week when he completely forgave his brothers, about 17 years have passed as we arrive in chapter 50, verse 15. And in that time, quite recently, uh, Joseph and the brother's father, Jacob, has just passed away at a ripe old age, but nonetheless, he has passed away. And so we join Joseph and the brothers as they just begin to perhaps process the slightly messy elements of their family that still remain as Jacob has just passed away. So I'm in verse 15 of chapter 50, and it's on the screen behind me as well. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, this is the key bit this morning, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So, do not fear, 
I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Jacob passed away after many, many years. He was a ripe old age, was Jacob. And uh, it brought to mind this week um, the day or the the week where my own grandfather actually passed away when I was, I think I was 16. And he was also a ripe old age and had kind of the best possible departing, I think. He was in full control of his faculties and passed away in his sleep at a ripe old age. Can't really ask for more than that. And uh, I was, remember going to his funeral, age 16, and uh, the family had asked me and my cousin to kind of do a little joint tribute. To, to him that often you get at funerals because we were both the oldest of our two families. So my brother's called, uh, cousin was called Johnny. He was 25, I think, and I was 16. And he was a bit of a hero of mine. You know, when you're a 16-year-old boy and your cousin's 25, he's like the, the coolest guy going around. And so for us to do this thing together was really, really special. Except I completely messed my bit up. I stumbled over my words. I got things the wrong way around. I had a bit of a cry, which is not unusual for me during the, during the whole thing. And it was a complete shambles, basically. Complete shambles. He did his beautifully, very moving, wonderfully done. Mine was a shambles. And at the end of the funeral, I was obviously upset that my grandfather's passing away. And I was compl- you know, in a slightly insular teenage way, I was pretty consumed by my own rather shambolic performance. I remember sat, sat at the, uh, the front, lovely old traditional church. I was sat in the front row of the pew. Everybody else had gone out and there I was having a bit of a cry, feeling rather sorry for myself because I'd messed up and my grandfather had passed away. It's all a bit sad. And then my cousin came and sat down next to me, Johnny, and they just said to me, Philip, well done. I'm really proud of you. I was like, what do you mean well done? I did it. It was terrible. It was awful. I messed up. Well done. I'm really proud of you. No, you can't be proud. Well done. He just kept saying, well done. I'm really proud of you. Well done. I'm really proud of you. Well done. I'm really proud of you. And eventually, it's kind of started to sink into me. I realized my cousin, he's a bit of a hit. He actually, he was the guy that baptized me, ironically enough. So he's a real kind of hero to me. I thought, he really is quite proud of me. He really is saying, well done. And it was a strange moment because I walked out of the church and it was like the worst of things had kind of become the best of things. The sorrow of messing up a tribute to my lovely grandfather was kind of almost, in some ways, weirdly replaced by the, just the, the delight of having my cousin say that he was so proud of me. It was like the worst thing became the best thing almost in the same moment. And I think that's what we really see in Joseph's story now, in that passage. The worst things really can become the best things. Not necessarily in a moment, like it was for me, but maybe over a period of time. And Joseph is now about 50, we often think of Joseph, don't we, as a young man, the technicolor dream coat and so on, but he's a man of 50 in this particular passage at the end of Genesis. And if anyone has been through some of the worst things, it's him. Let me just recap for you what he has been through in his life. He was poorly parented. He was sold into slavery by his own family. He was falsely accused and imprisoned, forgotten about, ignored, and faced with the problem of a natural disaster, a famine in the nation that he ended up leading. He'd been through some pretty tough stuff in his years. And I don't know this for certain, but I think it's reasonable to guess that at some point in Joseph's life, especially in the age between 17 and 30, he must have kind of asked the question, God, why is this happening? We don't know he asked that. But I think it's reasonable to suppose that he must have asked something like that when he was in jail or God, why is this happening? I wonder whether you've ever asked that question. God, why is this happening? I know I certainly have asked that question. Or perhaps you've wondered, if there is a God, he wouldn't let this happen. And so I'm not sure there is a God. 
That's one of the kind of key um, stumbling blocks, I think, that people have. One of the key questions people have about faith in God. It's a good question. I think if you're not going to be a Christian, it's probably the best reason. How do you combine the suffering that we experience and that we see with the idea of a loving God who's in control? It's a good question to ask. And for many people, it's the biggest question they have to ask. Because they look at their own life. Maybe you look at your own life and you look at the world around you and you might observe some of the very things that Joseph went through. Things like family breakdown and abuse. He went through that. Injustice, he experienced that. You might look at the world around you and see human slavery and displacement of peoples. He went through that. Or natural disasters. How do you reconcile natural disasters? Joseph confronted a natural disaster, a famine. And so the question many people often ask is, where is God when that stuff happens? Or why does he let that happen? Or, like I said before, if there is a God, he wouldn't let this kind of thing happen. And so therefore, I'm not sure if there's a God. You may have asked some of those questions. You may be asking some of those questions. And I think Joseph probably would have asked some, if not all, of those questions at some point. And I think what we see in this passage is in a much more dramatic way what I experienced at that funeral. That the worst of things really can become the best of things. The worst things can become the best things. That's why Joseph says to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So can the worst things become the best things? Is that possible? How is it possible? I want to look at three things this morning that I would suggest that we can see how it really is possible that God can turn the worst things into the best things. Through our circumstances, number one. Number two, through our character. And number three, through partnership. So how is it possible that God can turn the worst things for the best things, if he even can? Through circumstances, through character, and through partnership. Number one, circumstances. I, uh, I love the story of Corrie ten Boom. Don't know if you know any of the story of Corrie ten Boom. It's a really inspirational story. If you don't know who she was, she was a, uh, a, a Dutch woman. She had the um, misfortune when she was a young woman living in Holland in the 1940s that, of course, Holland was occupied by the, by the Nazis. And that she and her family were determined to exercise their Christian faith, to live it out by hiding Jewish people in their home. Eventually, they were caught, and she and her sister, I think in their 20s or 30s at the time, were deported to the infamous uh, Nazi concentration camp, Ravensbrück, in Eastern Europe. And she arrived there in February 1944. If you know anything about your, your history or your World War II, you'll know that a Nazi concentration camp was not a place to be, to put it mildly. And what she experienced in the 11 months that she was there was pretty horrifying, to put it mildly. But as a follower of Jesus, it's amazing how she didn't, uh, she didn't stop following Jesus. She actually managed to smuggle a Bible somehow into that camp, which was unheard of. And she continued to pray. She continued to enjoy God, enjoy her Bible in secret, trusting, praying that her circumstances might change. Now, if you know anything about the way the Nazis operated World War II, you know that their administration, their efficiency was extraordinary. They did not, they made very, very few administrative errors, such as the, in, in, the, in a bid to accomplish what they tried to accomplish. In December 1944, Corrie ten Broom was released from Ravensbrück by mistake due to a clerical error, which just doesn't happen in Nazi concentration camps. People did not walk out free, and a complete mistake was made, and she walked out free and lived to the ripe old age of 91. I believe God changed her circumstances dramatically through, through prayer. I have no idea what she prayed, but I would love to have, well, not been there, but to have heard 
what she prayed in those moments and then how she saw God remarkably transform her circumstances. So how does God bring the worst of things to the best of things? He does change circumstances. He does transform circumstances. If you've been in King's Church for any time at all, you'll start to hear stories of how people have known circumstances changing. Might not be as dramatic as being released from a prisoner of war camp, but if you're in King's Church for any time, you'll hear stories of how people have known unemployment becoming employment through, often through prayer and trusting God. Stories of where sickness has turned into healing. Stories of where uh, being held captive to damaging habits has turned into being free and flourishing. Stories of where uh, we were getting frustrated with our kids being so far away, so we prayed and the circumstances were changed and they're right here behind us. There are lots of stories of how God comes into our life and he loves to transform and reverse circumstances and make the worst of things into the best of things. But (laughs) what about if circumstances don't change because sometimes they don't what about if they get worse Corrie ten Boom she walked free from Ravensbrook but her sister whose name I forget passed away in Ravensbrook her circumstances weren't transformed they both loved God both trusted God so what happens when circumstances don't get better they get worse just a little personal example my dad is currently going through his third bout of bone cancer things are not getting any better <laughs> It's getting worse. There's been lots of prayer and we're believing God that he might turn sickness into healing. And my dad's experiencing the joy that comes in a special way from trusting God in difficult times. But the situation, in all honesty, is getting worse. So what do you do with that? Is God now unable to bring about the best things from the worst things? Is it only through circumstances? There's a really famous verse in the Bible in Romans 8, 28. In fact, we looked at it last week term before Christmas in the trial series and Christians really like to quote this verse uh, or put it on a bumper sticker or stick it on the fridge magnet and it goes like this we know that for those who love God all things work together for good and Christians like quoting that one (laughs) and often we'll quote it as a means of saying eventually God will stop these bad circumstances and he'll replace them with good ones that's often how it's kind of quoted or prayed And we'll say, well, if my finances are in trouble and God will resolve that. Or I'm single, I'd love to be married and God will resolve that. And he both can and he does, as we've already been saying. He loves it when we bring the desires of our heart to him. And he loves to transform circumstances. But I think if anything like me, we tend to miss the next verse. It doesn't get quoted quite so often in verse 29. So we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purposes. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And what Paul is writing that letter to the church in Rome is saying is that the good that God is also and in some senses ultimately concerned with is not so much our circumstances changing but our character changing. That's what Paul is saying in that verse. He's saying God will work even the worst of circumstances, the worst of things to shape our character to be like the image of Jesus himself, the greatest human being that ever lived. In another letter, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he kind of confirms this. He says that for a follower of Jesus, our goal, he says, what's not on the board, but I'll read it to you, is to attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Ephesians 4.13, you can write it down, great one to remind yourself of. Our goal is to attain to the measure 
of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal, Paul says, of a follower of Christ, is to be like him. Not simply to trust him to change our circumstances. So how does God bring the worst of things from the best of things? Number one, he threw circumstances. But number two, and in some senses more ultimately and more profoundly, through our character. Then if you know the story of Abraham Lincoln, uh, he's obviously a pretty famous individual, not least for being one of the most famous uh, American presidents and having a rather impressive beard, I've always thought. One that I look on uh, uh, enviously against. And he was a fantastic American president, known for bringing slavery to an end, or at least beginning that process, known for setting in place some of the key constitutional and democratic foundations of the United States. He's a hero across the world, and rightly so, for all that he accomplished. But I don't know whether you know much about Abraham Lincoln before he became president of America, because he had a pretty interesting life beforehand. Let me take you back to when he was seven years old, and I'll take you through to when he became the president of America. If you, think you, if you think you've been through some tough times, then uh, meet Abraham Lincoln. In 1816, age seven, his family was forced out of their home. He wasn't educated. He had to work on a farm for the remainder of his childhood. When he was nine years old, his mother passed away. 1831, as an adult, he failed in business, bankrupt. 1832, he ran for the state legis- legislature. I knew I couldn't say that word. Legislature. He ran for that and lost. 1832, he lost his job. Wanted to go to law school, refused. 1833, he borrowed some money from a friend to try and start a business. It went bankrupt. He spent the next 17 years paying off his debts. 1834, he ran for the state legislature and he won. 1835, he was engaged to be married and his fiancée passed away. 1836, he had a nervous breakdown and was in bed for six months. 1838, he tried to become the speaker of the state legislature and was defeated. 1840, sought to become an elector, defeated. 1843, ran for a seat in Congress, lost. 1846, ran for Congress again and won, served well. 1848, tried to get re-elected, lost his seat. 1849, sought the job of a land officer in his home state, rejected. 1854, ran for the Senate in the USA, lost. 1856, sought the vice presidential nomination for his party, Got less than 100 votes. Lost. 1858, ran for the US Senate again. Lost. 1860, became the president of America. Extraordinary life. And do you know why I think he achieved so much? And he did achieve so much. End of the Civil War, began the end of, the, of, of, the, of slavery in America, and many, many other things. Because his character was forged in the worst of times. You read biographies of him and reports about him. People don't talk about his enormous intellect. He had no education from age 7 to 18. He's working on a farm. People talk about this man's character, forged in the worst of times. A man who valued justice, a man of peace, a man of courage and perseverance and boldness, a man of fairness. Why? He got forged in these tough, tough, tough times. I think we know that instinctively. We know that character gets forged in half times. We'd just kind of rather God didn't do it in us. And that he just addressed the circumstances. And look at Joseph. What was Joseph like when he was 17? Pretty spoiled. At best, naive. At worst, conceited and arrogant. On his way, probably, to being a pretty unpleasant person. No idea how to use his gifts for the glory of God or the blessing of others. That's kind of what Joseph was like, age 17. 
And yet because, specifically because, his character was forged in the furnace of tough, tough times between 17 and 30, because of that, he learned to trust God over and over again, like Corrie ten Boom. He learned to use his gift for the glory of God and the blessing of others. And he learned to forgive completely, as we saw last week. As a result of that, age 30, 33, 35, God was able to trust him with the fortunes of the world's greatest superpower, the America of the day, Egypt. And Joseph didn't know it, but Joseph was doing what Paul said followers of Jesus would do later on in the New Testament. He was becoming like Jesus. He was becoming more and more like the character of Christ who would appear 1,500 years later. Because Joseph, like Jesus, was a man able to forgive those who hurt him the most. Joseph, like Jesus, was a man able to bring about the reconciliation of people and give them a future and a hope. Joseph didn't know it, but he was being shaped into the likeness of Christ. And that is the ambition of an authentic follower of Christ, to be like Jesus. I don't think it's wrong to have an ambition to be the greatest man or woman in the world. Because Jesus was the greatest person ever lived. And the promise to follow to Jesus is that they'll be shaped more and more like him, especially in the worst of things. Especially in the worst of things. Do you believe that? It's hard. Because I just want the circumstances to change. But God is about something even greater. He's about something even greater than changing circumstances. Some of you will know... um, Andrew Brown, he's one of the leaders here, and he's happy for me to share this, I should say. And some of you might know that Andrew's lost his job recently. And it's been very uh, inspiring to me to hear Andrew talk of the opportunity that there is in this tough time. The opportunity that there is to trust God. The opportunity that there is to draw closer to him. The opportunity that there is to become a little bit more like Jesus through trusting the Father in tough times, just like Jesus did. And Andrew's talked about this is the second time this has happened. And the first time, maybe, he says, I kind of missed the opportunity. It was kind of panic stations. So I needed the circumstances to change. And we want the circumstances to change. And we'll pray that they will. But it's been very inspiring to me to also hear about the desire to use the worst of things to have a character shaped to be like the greatest human being that ever lived, Christ himself. Don't you want that? Don't you want to be shaped into Jesus? I mean, watch The Passion of the Christ if you're going to be here at eight o'clock in that evening. Or even you watch Aslan in the afternoon, that picture of Christ. Don't you want to be like them? Full of courage, full of boldness, full of peace and compassion, persevering to the end, blessing others at all times, drawing people to themselves for their good and for the blessing of God. I want to be like that. I want to be like Aslan. <laughs> I want to be like Jesus. And God will do that, especially in the worst of times. And then thirdly, as Christ-likeness grows in us, the third thing that God will do in terms of bringing the worst of things to the best of things is he will partner with us. He'll use partnership. He'll use circumstances. He'll use character. He'll use partnership. And by that I mean God is such a kind God. He includes us in his plans and purposes. You see, baptism tells us the fundamental uh, truth of what it is to be a follower of Christ. United with Jesus, 
as it were, buried with him and raised to life with him. And because we're united with him and he's a child of God, we become a child of God as well. And because he has the approval and love and delight and acceptance of the Father, we do as well. That's not where the journey of being a follower of Christ ends because also, as a child of God, we get to hold hands with our dad and go to work with him and extend his kingdom with him. Such is his kindness, he includes us in our plans and purposes. So harking back to Corrie Temboom all those years ago in Ravensbrück concentration camp in 1944. You know she arrived in February, you know she got out miraculously in December. What I didn't say was that such was her commitment to, to Christ and the joy that she found in him, that she didn't only spend time in the Bible with her sister Betsy, she also very secretly taught it to other women in her part of the camp. Until one day the women in her block were moved to a different block. It was a block supposed to house 400 and there were 1,400 of them put in there. What's more, she very quickly realised the place was infested by fleas. Just uh, a context beyond our imagination really. And she talks about how she thought like this. She, she had her, God, if you're alive, you wouldn't do this moment. She had it then. And her sister Betsy said, no, no, no. Keep trusting God. There's things to thank him for. What, the fleas? You want me to thank? There's things to thank him for. Keep thanking him. Let's keep learning about him. Keep teaching other women about him. And after two weeks, they realized that in this new block, they hadn't been interrupted before. They hadn't had to suddenly hide their Bible. They used to have to do when the guards came. And after a month, they realized, still, no more guards have come. Why? Because the guards knew the place was flea infested and they weren't going anywhere near it. And so for weeks and weeks and weeks, no guard came anywhere near that place and it became a wonderful, glorious place of the Bible being unpacked and women coming to faith in Christ. And however long their journey lasted on earth, they became followers of Jesus forever because of the fleas. The worst of things. The worst of things became the best of things. She got to partner with God. Women who were about to die got to meet Jesus on earth, as it were before they met him forever. Because she made the decision, I'm not going to give up just because circumstances aren't changing. In fact, they're getting worse. I'm not sure about my character, but there must be an opportunity to partner with God here. Is there? And there was a glorious opportunity to partner with God in the worst of things. And she saw mighty things happen as a result. Joseph's bad circumstances are not just bad circumstances. They really do fit into God's ultimate purposes, not just for Joseph, but for his plans to extend his love to the corners of the globe. So I want to ask you again, different question. Do you believe that going through the worst of things is compatible with God working out his good purposes in your life and potentially in other people's lives through you? That's hard. Hard. I want to encourage you this morning that from what we see in Joseph in Scripture, what we see in lives like Corrie Ten Boom and in many others, God can work the best of things through the worst of things, not just to change the circumstance, not just to shape your character to be like the greatest human being that ever lived, but also to work about His eternal purposes in your life and in those around you. Do you believe that? For some of you taking notes, now's a good time to make a little mark in the sand, as it were, in your notes. Let me help you to see that 
again to be true. Look at Joseph's life. This is the end of our series. I'm not going to meet Joseph again for a while, at least not in this setting. Joseph was 17 years old. That's how the whole thing started. A 17-year-old boy who had some dreams from God that carry meanings and he didn't know how to handle them. That's how the whole story started, wasn't it? That messy family. Remember that? Because of that, because of that, his brothers hated him, sold him into slavery, and he ended up as a slave on Potiphar's estate in Egypt. Because of that, he ends up, he ends up learning the skills of leadership and administration and how to use influence. Precisely because he does not misuse influence and sleep with his boss's wife, he's thrown into jail. Because of that, he meets one of Pharaoh's employees, a cupbearer, and interprets his dream for him, able to use his gift again. Because of that, after the cupbearer gets out of jail, he remembers Joseph and, and calls him out of jail to interpret Pharaoh's dream. He's able to understand Pharaoh's dream and accurately predicts and advise how to solve the natural disaster that is coming. Because of that, Pharaoh appoints him as prime minister of Egypt to lead the whole nation through a famine that will also bless the Middle East as well, places like Canaan where Joseph's family lived. And so because of that, Joseph's family make their way to Egypt and are wonderfully reconciled with Joseph and able to settle in Egypt. And because of that, and because Joseph is a man of influence and power, they can settle in the best part of the land and they can flourish and grow. And they go over 430 years from being a family of 70 to a nation of over a million. And then 1,500 years later, Joseph's nation are interrupted by one of Joseph's descendants. Amongst the people of Joseph comes one unlike any other. One who is also betrayed by his own people and falsely accused and punished. One who is also separated from his father. One who completely forgives not just his brothers, but all who would believe in him. One who went not to jail, but to his death. One who was freed not from prison, but who defeated death. One who God the Father took through the very worst of times to bring about the best of times. You want the ultimate example of the worst of things becoming the best of things? You look at the cross. God being murdered. And it became the best of things, the rescue of mankind. There is no greater example of the worst thing becoming the best thing than the cross. Watch the Passion of the Christ if you can on that Saturday evening. It is the worst of things. It is unimaginable what was done to God himself. And it became the greatest thing that ever happened. The worst of things can become the best of things because it has. Why? Why did that happen? Because 1,500 years earlier, a 17-year-old boy was horribly treated by his family. That's what sparked the whole thing. That moment of Joseph being horribly treated by his family sparked the whole thing. Because that young man went through the worst of times. Because he trusted God amidst his doubts to change his circumstances, to shape his character, and maybe, just maybe, to accomplish good purposes in his life. God did more than he could ever, ever have imagined. And Joseph understood, excuse me, Joseph understood something of that, doesn't he? 
in the passage says, it's amazing, guys. God's used me to make sure that Egypt and you don't die from famine. Wow. God meant it for good. Joseph has no idea what God was going to do. God was, more, God was concerned with not just saving a nation, but saving the world. Joseph had no idea that one of his descendants, directly descended from his brother Judah, would save not just a nation, but would save the world. Because God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son. Joseph had no idea just how much God loved the world and just what cost God was willing to pay. So how can you respond this morning if you haven't already? What about those of you who, you may say, I'm in the worst of things, the worst things. If not the worst things, then, then tough things. I want to encourage you to, to respond like this. To say to God, I, I trust you for my circumstances to change. I know that you can do that. You plucked a woman from a concentration camp when she should never have left. You gave a a 17-year-old boy a hope and a future and a household and a nation that he should never have had. I know that you can change circumstances and I trust you to do that. And try and respond like this and God will help you. I want to trust you also, God, that in the midst of this, you'll shape my character now. I'm not going to wait till I can look back and say, okay, then maybe there was... I want to trust you, God, to shape my character now because I want to be, I want to be like the greatest human being that ever lived. Not Joseph, he was only a shadow. Jesus himself. And thirdly, can you say, God, I trust you that in the midst of this, you are working good purposes for me. This is not incompatible. And maybe, just maybe, you're also working good purposes for many, many others around me because of this and through this. I trust you to change my circumstances, to change my, shape my character and to partner with me. You do that. God will help you. He will. He will. What about if you're not going through tough things? Life's, life's okay. You don't feel like there's a, a particular worse thing at the moment. Well, Jesus was really honest with us. He didn't just say that authentic followers of his would get baptized. He also said they'd expect trouble. Real blunt. He said one day, you will have trouble in this life if you want to follow me. And so for me this week, I don't feel like I'm in the worst of times. I feel like there's pressure, but not the worst of times, not anything close. But I've been thinking, hang on a minute, pressure's going to come. That's not, oh, woe is me, pessimistic. Jesus told me pressure would come. Jesus said, if you want to be an authentic follower of Christ, you can expect pressure. So for me this week, it's been really helpful to put a line in the sand and say, right, Jesus, when pressure comes, when maybe the worst of things comes, I'm going to trust you to change those circumstances miraculously. Line in the sand. And I'm going to trust you that in the midst of it, there's an opportunity for me to be more like you. Line in the sand. And I'm going to trust you that in the midst of this, you are working good purposes for me and for those that are around me. Line in the sand. So for some of you this morning, it's actually about putting a line in the sand for later on. Becoming a follower of Christ is where joy and life in abundance is to be found and pressure, and trouble, <laughs> as Corrie Ten Boom could tell you. I want to invite the band to come and join me, and also the prayer team uh, to come and join me, if they will, to my left, and we're going to just respond to what we've heard. I want to get into the habit, really, of responding more, and the prayer team are a great way of helping us do that, so they're going to come and join me to my left, please. 
And if they need supplementing by life group leaders, that's always a great thing to do. So when we stand, they will come with us. And I want to encourage you in these next couple of songs to respond along the lines I've been inviting you to do so. If you're in, the, if you, if you're in those worst of things, ask God to help you trust him for circumstantial change, character shaping, and partnership in purposes. And if you're yet to be, this is a great morning to put a line in the sand so that as and when it comes, we're not afraid of it. It's an opportunity to trust God and see amazing things happen. Amen? Can we stand? You don't have to wait for any moment in the next couple of songs. Robin and Mark will help us, but if you want to respond, come and get prayer from the team. Pray with the person next to you, but again, great opportunity to put a line in the sand and to respond to God this morning. If our prayer ministry team is a little bit short, can Life Group leaders keep a close eye out, please? That would be great. Let's pray, and then we'll worship. Lord God, we thank you for what we've seen in this wonderful story of Joseph. We thank you that you really did take this young man through the very worst of things in order to bring out the best of things. You did an amazing work in his life. You shaped his character. You transformed his circumstances. And you used him not only to bless those around him, but you put an eternal plan in purpose because of him that has affected the nations. And so God, I pray that you would draw us into what it is to be a follower who welcomes the opportunity, painful though it might be, to trust you in the worst of things, knowing that you can bring about the best of things. And I pray for any who are on that journey towards exploring what it might mean to follow you. I pray that you would make yourself known to them this morning. That you are not only the greatest human being that ever lived, you are and were God himself. And you invite us to life in abundance through all things to bring out the best of things. Amen.